0: You want to turn in your Bibles to the Song of Solomon, the first chapter. We began a series last week. I want to continue along that line of speaking this morning. Last week, we talked about a barley harvest romance and looked at the example of Ruth. And we go from a barley harvest romance, and all of you TV fans will like this, to a valentine in the vineyard. How do you like that? Oh, it gets better. I'm working on this every week. So this week we're coming to a valentine in the vineyard. And we look at the first chapter of the Song of Solomon. We go from gleaning grain with Ruth to gathering grapes with the young lady that we're going to talk about this morning. We go from being burnt black in the sun, as you will see that she is, to the king's banquet house. And from a lowly grape gatherer to the apple of the king's eye. Now, if you notice in the first verse here, it says the song of songs, which is Solomon's. This is the love song of all love songs. You may have a song in mind that's the best love song you've ever heard, but nothing can compare to the love song that Solomon wrote. Brother Jack Moss was asking me a couple of days ago who my favorite singer was. And without hesitation, I said Roy Orbison. <laughs> now, I didn't say who my favorite songwriter was and who my favorite group was, but in terms of favorite singer that I just like to listen to sing, listen to him sing. as Roy Orbison. Nobody's got it. Even Elvis listened to Roy Orbison. Do you know that? And so I, I, I got me thinking about this. You know, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite love song? This song is unique. It's like no other because it combines so many different elements of what true love is. And it says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for thy love is better than wine. I want you to notice what we're, we've got before us here today. <clears throat> Last week, if you think about what I spoke about, it was a very practical or pragmatic approach to finding a spouse, for a young lady to find a spouse. I'm telling you this week, we're on the hopeless romantic side. That's where we come to in the Song of Solomon. Everybody's way more excited about the hopeless romantic than they are about the pragmatic, follow all the steps, check all the boxes, and you'll get there. Now, it's a combination of both, and don't get me wrong. But last week was very pragmatic. It was very practical in terms of very general things that are good things to do. This is definitely the hopeless romantic side. I mean, think about it. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That's about as romantic as you can get. Right off the bat, the song starts first verse, second verse. And here we are talking about a very intimate encounter. Now, the title of the message is A Valentine in the Vineyard. A Valentine, not valentines in the vineyard very very, there's a reason why I specifically point that out a valentine because this is a unique beautiful situation here where we find two people coming together that God has blessed and ordained and I don't mean you're ordained to be with this person or with that person I've said for years you know there's so many different young men that sister Tracy could have made happy she is so wonderful in the way that she is and I always think, why in the world did she pick me? Because I feel like I'm a detriment to her. There's so many different men that she could have made happy. And, and she says the same thing about me, but the only thing is I'm telling the truth. She just, maybe she's just deceived. I don't know. But, but there's so many different young men that she could have made happy 25 years ago. But praise God, you know, she's mine. And it, it, it was not like this. I never said anything like this. And you young ladies and moms and dads, listen carefully. When you hear language like this, this is what ought to raise red flags. i never said, you know, a girl like Tracy would be a blessing to me. A girl like Tracy would be something that would really make my life better. A girl like Tracy would get me on the right track. You better watch out when you hear language like that. Because it's not about a girl like Tracy. It's this. Tracy herself. That person is the one That is a blessing to my life. You get the difference? It's not a girl like Tracy. It's not a girl like fill in your name. That kind of language is not Song of Solomon material. See, the desire of the couple that's here in the Song of Solomon, he desires the Shulamite. That's her name. That's what he names her. It's a pet name. He desires the Shulamite. She desires Solomon. It's not a girl like the Shulamite. Are you all with me on that? That's very important. So it's not Valentine's in the vineyard. It's a Valentine in the vineyard. Now, I want to say a little word about to the young ladies specifically about expecting perfection. I mentioned this last week, but if you're expecting perfection, you're never going to get married. (laughs) Because here's you say, well, yeah, but I really want perfection. Well, let me just explain something to you. If you marry the man who's perfect, then you're going to be miserable because you're not perfect. You get it? Now, I know I know what mom and dad have always said, and I've said the same thing to my girls. There's nobody, there's nobody that is good enough for you, honey. <laughs> we all say that, don't we, parents? There's just nobody good enough for you. But it's not really true, is it? Because those dear girls, those dear sisters, they're sinners too. You're a sinner too, mom and dad. And I get it. You know, you want to make sure you get the right one. Nobody's good enough for you. You know, the, the, the problem with that is the young lady might actually start believing that. Nobody is good enough for me. So a word about perfection. There is no perfect man. Do you really think Boaz was perfect? He was probably 40-something, kind of probably looked 40-something, been working as a farmer all those years out in the field. Never married. Everybody said, well, he's just the old bachelor. You know, He's never going to have a prayer. He wasn't a perfect situation. You know who we're dealing with here today? I know we're dealing with him when he was young, Solomon. But do you know who he went on to be? You understand what I'm saying? If you're looking for perfection, you're never going to find someone. Now, that's a balance, is it not? Here's the balance. Here's how it works. If you value yourself and you say, well, there's just nobody good enough for me, then you're probably never going to find anybody that is good enough for you. (laughs) But if you place the value of yourself on what Christ has done for you, that your value is intrinsic, it's tied into Christ. Your value is based on what Christ has done for you. That brings a little thing called humility, does it not? And it makes you say things like, I'm just not worthy to be married to Sister Tracy McCool. And she says, oh, you're just wonderful, Brother Tim. And I get it. I'm glad she says that. But I know me and I know my heart of hearts. And I'm not worthy to be married to her. I still feel that way. But if you're going around, I'm all that and I am worthy, then you're not valuing who you are based on what Christ has done for you. Does that make sense? So be very careful about how you look for someone. You're never going to find anybody perfect. Now, you've heard the old saying, here's these two people, and man, they look good on paper. You know, she's got these qualities, he's got those qualities, and they look good on paper. But you're not going to marry paper. You get it? You don't marry paper. (laughs) There's an element that we see here in the Song of Solomon that is essential, that goes beyond looking good on paper. Okay? So, we learned lessons from the pragmatic side, from the practical side. Last week, we come to the hopeless romantic. This is the emotional side. This is the emotional side. Now, it involves a lot of practical things, but it's very emotional. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Now, the scene that we've got here set before us in the first verse of the Song of Solomon is we've got this little Shulamite woman who eventually becomes becomes known as the Shulamite because Solomon names her that when he takes her as a wife. She takes his name. But what you've got here, if you read on down in verse six, she says, look not upon me because I am black. That means she was burnt in the sun. She was very tanned by the sun, but not because she'd been laying out, but because she'd been working and laboring in the sun. She said, look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. You see, this young woman is down working in the vineyards of Solomon. He had many vineyards and he, she's working in the vineyard of Solomon. And she says, it's like she's saying, I'm having to spend so much time here doing this work for, in the vineyards of Solomon. My brothers and my sisters have made me come do this. I'm, I'm the least of my family and I have to do what they say. And all I'm doing down here is picking these grapes. Can you imagine? She sat there picking grapes. I mean, y'all seen a vineyard, right? There's thousands of maybe millions of grapes. That would be so boring, wouldn't it? Just grape after grape after grape. You think she's sitting there thinking, you know, I'm just like these grapes. I'm just another grape. Bloop, bloop, put it in her bucket, put it in her bucket. I'm just a grape. You ever feel that way? That's a lot better way to feel than nobody's good enough for me. That's for sure. So she's down there picking these grapes. She probably feels just like another grape. Uh, you know, I remember I've shared y'all this with you all before. You know, baling hay, cutting hay, raking hay, fluffing hay. Everything about hay on the farm. You know, we did that all summer long. And I remember thinking driving that tractor, if I have to row one, if I have to roll up one more windrow, I'm gonna scream. You know, nobody would have heard me because I'm on the tractor. But <laughs> round and around. I remember feeling like that grape. I'm just a grape. You know, I'm just nobody. I'm just a one of a million. There's nothing special about me. That's how she feels. But she's a hopeless romantic. She says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, verse two. For thy love is better than wine. Notice that. She says wine was one of the most intoxicating things that you could get in that time. And she says there's something better than the intoxication of wine. And by the way, the love that she's describing here doesn't leave you with a hangover (laughs) like wine would. Wine makes glad the heart. She's making a comparison to how she feels towards her true love to being better than something that nature has to offer. Notice she says this, Because of the savor of thy good ointments, this is verse 3, Thy name is as ointment poured forth, therefore do the virgins love thee. The word savor is odor, that means the smell. She even loves the smell of this man. <laughs> I'll never forget, whenever Brother Heath first started coming around, we'd sit there you know, and visit a lot. Sometimes we, everybody in there together would watch TV, and I'll never forget, I'd looked over and see a little sister Lila would be laying her head on Heath's shoulder more than Madison would. <laughs> and we were sitting there one night and Sister Lila was laying there with her sweet little head down on Heath's shoulder and there was some movie playing and and Sister Lila leans over to his shirt and she goes and she looked up at him and she said you smell good (laughs) and I said Brother Heath passed the smell test he passed it he didn't know that I had planted Lila there as a mole You know, does he smell right that's this woman right here she says you smell good I'm so in love with you that I even like the way you smell. See? When she hears his name, it says, because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Now, let's have a little word here about Elvis. (laughs) I'm appealing to the older generation. Maybe we need to go with the three B's for today. You know, Bieber, uh, Brad, and Bruno. Okay, anyway, maybe I'm I'm dating myself on those. I know Brad's dated for sure. But a word about Elvis. You know, I've looked back and seen and heard stories tell about women that just went wild, you know, when they would go and see Elvis. And, you know, Elvis even passed through Pickens County and had lunch over there on this little side cafe in 82. They still talk about that in Gordo and Reform. But you ever notice how, and you could could substitute some famous person today. You know, these women go wild over Elvis. Well, you know, sisters, you're not going to marry Elvis. You're not going to marry Justin Bieber. You're not going to marry Brad Pitt. You're not going to marry Bruno Mars. You're not going to marry these guys. God forbid if you do. (laughs) Might as well kiss a normal life goodbye if you do that. You know, how would it be if you went through your whole life, how would it be if Sister Tracy was an Elvis fan and she's crazy about Elvis? There's even a country song written about that. (laughs) And all I ever heard her talk about, oh Elvis, oh Elvis this, oh Elvis that, Elvis this, Elvis this, Elvis that. Who wants to hear that? I want to hear Tim this, Tim that, Tim the other. Tim, oh yeah, Tim. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> you see, this woman, she knows she's not, she's not marrying Elvis. She's not marrying these, these great figures. See, nobody does that. By the way, Elvis apparently couldn't stay married. <laughs> she says, draw me. We will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. Listen to the language. We will remember thy love more than wine. There is that little wine comment again. I looked up the definition of the word wine right there, and it comes from a word that we don't use much anymore, and it's called effervesce, to effervesce. Some of you are nodding. You know what I'm talking about. Whenever you open the Coke bottle and it's been shaken up and it blows over, that's, it's effervescing. It's carbonated, and it comes over the top. I love doing this, and Daddy, my kids say, Daddy, why do you like that? Put ice in the glass, pour Coke or whatever you're drinking like that, 7-Up or whatever, and that fizz comes up to the top. I love that fizz love it. I like to get to it before it's gone and and drink some of it. They're like, ooh, I love it. It's effervescing. This woman says my love for this man is like an effervescing wine. The wine is made and it's so potent that it just boils over the top. It means to boil up. It comes from a word that means to ferment. Okay. She effervesces. The word means vivacious. It means boiling over. The root word, as, as I said, is ferment. Y'all ever been to the, back when you went to the movie theater? You'd be sitting there in the movie theater and some of the theaters and, and you know, the screens are so much bigger nowadays. And this gargantuan Coke cup comes on. I just want to reach out and grab it. It's so beautiful. And then they start pouring and you hear it. You know, they start pouring. And, and everybody in the theater starts going. And 20 people get up and go run, you know, to go get. That effervescing Experience It gets in your head. It starts making your mouth water. See, that's how this woman feels about this man. She is effervescing over her love for him. Now, a word about love. You say, can we really define love? Easy. There was three, maybe four, clear understandings of different types of love in the Scripture. They're usually referred to in Greek, so I'll try to separate them out in Greek, not to impress you, but just so you can understand the difference. Okay, there's eros which that's physical love, eros, okay? That's physical love. There's another type of love called phileo, which is where you get the name like Philadelphia, you know, city of brotherly love. Phileo would be affection, affection, okay? And then you've got the greatest of all, which is agape, agape love, which is a sacrificial love. And by the way, agape can, and in this circumstance does include all three of those, you see? So you understand, if all you have going on in a relationship is eros, it's not going to last. It's not going to be fulfilling. And if all you have going on in a relationship is phileo, which is affection or brotherly love or sisterly love or whatever, you know, just where you feel a strong feeling for someone, it's not enough. What you're looking for is what this woman is effervescing over, which is agape love. That's what you want. So this hopeless romantic who has a very low opinion of herself. She says, don't look at me. My hair's not kept. She says, I'm out here keeping this vineyard, but I can't even keep my own vineyard. When I, when I think of that, I think, she, well, I didn't have time to put my makeup on. I didn't have time to comb my hair. Just good, good gracious, don't look at me. Look not upon me. And she encounters someone while she's out there, out there on, in the vineyards, picking the grapes, thinking I'm just another grape, I'm just another grape. She encounters a little shepherd boy, according to verse 7. She encounters a little handsome shepherd boy. This shepherd boy, I'll go ahead and tell you, this shepherd boy is Solomon. And he's disguised as a shepherd boy among the shepherds. Y'all ever heard the story of the prince and the pauper? Where do you think they got that from? You know, they swap places. Here is the king who is either the king at this time or soon to be the king in the place of his father David. He was very young. And by the way, when you get Solomon here disguised as a shepherd boy, if you look at the timeline, I believe it's already past the time he's been given great wisdom. I believe that. You know, God gives him great wisdom at a very young age. That's what he asked for. And so here is this shepherd boy, nice-looking shepherd boy, and the little Shulamite woman who's picking grapes notices him, and they begin to talk. (laughs) She doesn't know he's the king. She doesn't know that she's about to stumble into the greatest love of her life. She's not going after him because he's got money or status. Doesn't that sound like Ruth? Boaz looked at Ruth, and he said, You're blessed because you're not chasing after young men, whether rich or poor. She doesn't know that he's the king. And it says, tell me, in verse 7, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest? Where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon? For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? Do you hear that? There's other shepherds there. There's other shepherd boys. There's other flocks. But she says, I want to know where your flock feeds. Now, let me just make a side disclaimer too. For you, There is no question that a lot of the metaphorical language and the comparisons and the allusions here, no question are between Christ and his church. And I've heard many wonderful sermons preached about that, and I hope to hear many more. And maybe I'll preach about that sometime. But it is also primarily a love story between this young woman who doesn't see herself as much and this king, Solomon. She says, I want to be where your flocks rest. And he says to her, verse 8, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids besides the shepherd's tents. He says to her, if you want to know where my flock feeds, then just follow the footsteps of the flock. Is that not a great lesson for every young person, every older person, every middle-aged person? Follow the footsteps of the flock. The footsteps of the flock traced down through the centuries. From the times of Christ, whenever Christ spoke the words to His people, to His church. And since that time, there's been a flock, many flocks here and there throughout the world. You can find the truth. You can find the Lord and His Word through the footsteps of the flock. I believe I'm speaking to one of those flocks. And child of grace, you want to find your future. Whether it's looking for a spouse, whether it's looking for good friends, whether it's looking for truth itself, you follow the footsteps of the flock. Is that not how it happened with Jesus when John said, behold, the Lamb of God and the friends there went and told others, come and see, just come and see, just walk along and follow Jesus. That's one of the best lessons that we could get for anyone, follow the footsteps of the flock. And so he goes on and he says a lot of great things about her and, but here we are, think about it now, here's the scene. this a valentine in the vineyard. She's down there picking grapes. She feels like a nobody. Along comes a little shepherd boy. She doesn't know he's the king. And he is very much uh, interested in her. And she is very much interested in him. And then he goes off and he does his thing, whatever it is he has to do as a shepherd. And then sometime later, she finds out, that was the king. <laughs> that was the king. I didn't know he was the king. So she's probably thinking at this point, uh, you know, it's the king. He'll never be interested in me. I'm just a little lowly great gatherer. How in the world could the king be interested in me? And that's where the most important thing that could ever be looked at comes in and it's called time if he's for real if he's the one if he if the king is interested in the little shulamite time will tell he said some good things and he spoke some good things but it takes time to know whether or not it is agape is it phileo is it eros is it just a physical attraction? Is it just an emotional attraction? Or is it agape, which is something infinitely greater? It's the kind of love that Christ had for the church. So chapter 2, he comes back. She knows now that he's the king. He comes back and it says, As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons." I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So he has taken her away from the vineyard, and he's taking her on a picnic. Isn't that great? Y'all ever been on a picnic? I encourage you, go on a picnic. If you don't have a place to go on a picnic, come out, and I'll point you to some great spots where we've picnicked through the years. I know it's a little bit of work to put it all together, and nobody's going to go like Solomon did. He had, you know, waiters and chefs out there, you know, cooking up stuff there at the picnic because he's the king. But she's can you picture her sitting out there under the apple tree and they're on a blanket and they've got all of this, you know, nice things around them and food to try. She is just overwhelmed. Here she is out at the pic having a picnic with the king, the man that she loves. And then it says after they go on this date out here on a picnic It says, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. So not only does he have just the picnic prepared, but he goes back to his banqueting house, the the king's banqueting house. And I can just picture that. He's got a a banquet prepared that's just unbelievable and waiters everywhere. And he takes her in there. She's got the chief seat and she's just overwhelmed. And over her spot, it, it has it. You know, it, it doesn't say Shulamite, but it would it would have something along that line. This is where you see it. She knew that the banner over her was love. Isn't that beautiful? He's got this prepared for her. Now, listen, you you young men, and, and men that are married, and men that have been married, and, and maybe no, no longer married, whether by loss of spouse or whatever. This is not setting the standard so high to where, oh gosh, I'll never be King Solomon. That's not what this is doing. It is demonstrating the type of love, the base type of love that a couple ought to have for each other. That's what it's demonstrating. It doesn't mean that Brother Tim's got to go home in order for it to be an effective picnic, that he's got to hire you know waiters and chefs and all this stuff. So I, I can't do that, but I can do my best with what I have. And you know what? For Sister Tracy, as feeble as my attempts are, That'll be enough for her. What I try to do, she'll be happy. So it's not setting the standard so high, guys. Well, I'll just never even try. That's a terrible attitude. That's not agape, by the way. (laughs) That's somewhere south of agape. So he takes her back to the banqueting house, and she's just overwhelmed. She says, oh, stay me with flagons, verse 5. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. And she's not saying I'm sick of this guy and I want to go home. She says, I'm faint. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm effervescing. She's just boiling over effervescing she says i'm sick for love that's what that means love has just overwhelmed me and it's not just eros it's not just affection but it is agape love because he's sacrificing for her Do y'all see that she effervesces she says i'm sick of love now can y'all can y'all picture this i was thinking about this you know her brothers and sisters sorry sister julie but she was like the red-headed stepchild. <laughs> And they just said, go down there and leave us alone and go, you know, like Cinderella, like the wicked stepsisters telling Cinderella, get over there and just, you know, clean the house. So she's down there cleaning the house. Can you all imagine when the word got back to the house? Hey, little sisters went on a picnic with the king. No, nah, you're crazy. Not our little sister. And she's at the banqueting house right now with the king. I'm sure they were thinking, ooh I hope I was nice to her. You know, it it comes back around, guys. It comes back around. And by the way, this dear Shulamite has a great concern for her own little sister. If you'll read, you'll find that later in in the book. But she says, look, watch this now. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I'm sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. It's like they're dancing, and he's about to give her a kiss. It's beautiful imagery in this song, is it not? But still... You know, she's met the shepherd boy. She's found out that he's the king. He's come back around. He's taken her on a picnic. He's taken her to the banqueting house. He's, he's embraced her maybe in this dance that they did there in the banqueting hall. But is it agape? Is it for real? Time will tell. Chapter 6. They ask her, Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? You claim that you guys were in love. You see that? You claim that he was the one for you. Where is he? Whether is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with it. Is is he available now? Since it doesn't seem to be that he's coming back around to see you, is he available now? Can we now pursue him? (laughs) My goodness, no. It's almost like he just instantly appears. And in verse 4, there he is right up close and personal with her. And he says, thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Now, if I said to Sister Tracy, oh, Sister Tracy, you're terrible as an army with banners. In our verbiage and language this day and time, she might slap me. (laughs) But in this day and time, she wouldn't slap me. I'm just kidding. But she might think about it. But in this day and time, these are all compliments that he's paying. This is beautiful, poetic language of the song that carries the feeling that she is everything he's ever needed and ever seen and ever wanted. So all the language, as you read down from verse 4 on down, he is telling her what she wants to hear. But is it agape? He says in verse 8, there are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. There's all kinds of women out there. He says, but my dove, my undefiled is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughter saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines and they praised her. She is unique. And this is that same little girl, young woman who said, don't look upon me. I'm burnt in the sun. I haven't even kept my vineyard. I haven't even combed my hair or got my makeup on. So, is it for real? Is it agape? He says, return, return, O Shulamite. And this is the first time he calls her by name. Return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will ye see in the Shulamite? As it were, the company of two armies. What in the world does all that mean? It's poetic language. And he's now calling her by his name. Shulamite is a derivative of Solomon. It would be like getting the name Henrietta from Henry. It would be like getting the name Christian. From Christ. Are y'all with me? Christ has given you his name. Listen, Solomon marries her. That's how you know it was Agape. He gives her his name. He sacrifices for her. Her name now is, if you want to say it this way, the word is Shalom, which is peace. She is the Shalomite from Shaloman, Solomon. The Shulamite who is given the name from Solomon, you see. He takes her as his wife. And everybody says, what do you see in (laughs) her? He says, she's like two armies. I don't know all the imagery that that carries, but it basically means that's a great, incredible sight. And I think it has to do with two people coming together, two families. They're like two armies. They were independent armies themselves. They were forces in and of themselves. And they come together and they become a force together. You see that? So the Shulamite is made better by Solomon. And Solomon is made better by the Shulamite. You see, that's what you want right there. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Oh, Solomon pours it on. He said, how beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. (laughs) He begins to describe her from, from toe to head. Uh, he describes her, and he's, he, this is like their wedding vows, almost. And as you go on down in verse 11, she says to him, after they're married, she says, Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourishes, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. Notice she says, Let us, let us, let us. Well, they're together now, aren't they? It's all over with. There's nobody else in the picture. There's nobody saying, where is your beloved? And then she's not saying, I don't know where he is. They are now, let us, let us, let us. Was it agape? Absolutely it was. Time proved that. You young sisters, listen to me. Almost every young man that you meet throughout a certain age, and maybe at all ages, (laughs) almost every young man at some point or another is going to have that first kind of love on his mind. Eros. Eros. Physical affection. It's a natural thing. Every young man is going to have some level of that. You can't confuse the desire for physical affection with just regular type affection or I really, really feel strongly about this person and with agape. You may tell you how. (laughs) You keep your vineyard. You keep your vineyard secure and you keep your vineyard safe. That's what the Shulamite said. She said, I haven't been able to work on keeping my vineyard safe because I'm over here doing this, working so hard over here in these other vineyards. And then you come to the end of the the chapter, chapter 8, and it says, my vineyard, she says, my vineyard, which is mine, is before me. She's kept her vineyard. She's kept herself pure. She hasn't let the eros, she hasn't let the physical, take over the rest of the scene. And it will. It absolutely will. The way to know whether or not it's agape is you maintain the vineyard, you see, and I'm I'm just going to tell you, based on the authority of the word of God, you will get an answer. You will. There's no question about it. If you keep the vineyard and you follow the footsteps of the flock, you will know whether or not that young man has agape love, Amen. and you will know whether or not that young man is just experiencing an infatuation or a feeling, <laughs> and you will know whether or not that young man is just interested in the physical. You see. Keep your vineyard. She found him by the footsteps of the flock. She went from being just another grape to being picked and effervescing as the king's favorite wine. You see that? The overall lesson that we get from the Shulamite is you keep your vineyard and you follow the footsteps of the flock and just leave it in the hands of the Lord. You will know. Listen, I know whereof I speak. I could tell you this from the Word of God. But as a 25-year married man, I know whereof I speak because I remember thinking, "When am I going to find this? When is it going to hit? When is it going to be like I've been told that it is? When is it going to be like Mom and Dad said this is what you're looking for?" And, and whether they used the, they didn't use the Greek terms for love, okay. But they helped me understand the difference between those three things. Infatuation, the physical, and sacrificial love. They helped me understand that. They didn't, you don't have to use the Greek words to understand that, okay? But I was like, I've just never felt that agape. I've just never found that agape, you know? But when I did, when God opened that door, I felt like the little Shulamite woman. I felt like just another grape. I'm no more special than anybody else. Why would I be blessed to find something that can last a lifetime? You know, there was a time in my life when I would think, you know, I'm a pretty good catch. <laughs> yeah, some girl would be blessed to have me. If that's your thoughts, you've got a hard road in front of you. If you see that your worth is tied up in Christ and what He's done for you, you see you're not worthy of that kind of blessing. I hope you see that. Because when I saw that I'm not worthy, that's when the Lord opened the door. And <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but I began to effervesce. <laughs> I began to fizz and pop. I began to boil over and think not a girl like this would be great for me. No, it was Tracy. It was her. It was this girl. It was her. It was all about her. It was not she's like somebody that would be good for me. It was her. Do y'all see that? Let me tell you as we close. That's how Christ in a 10 million, billion, infinitely greater way, that's how He feels about you. Who am I? And why would the Lord choose me? Why would He look upon me and have mercy upon me? And Christ, effervesced in His love, He boiled over with His love so much so that He died for His bride. And you are His bride. You're that little Shulamite. And Solomon, the great Solomon, has taken His name and placed it upon you. And you're no longer just a little grape. <laughs> you're sweet, sweet wine. Pressed by the grace of God into something that you were not before. And you effervesce in the sight of the Lord. You taste good to the King. (laughs) May the Lord bless us to draw lessons that not only help the young sisters to find a spouse and the young men to find a spouse, but it would help us old spouses. Us older ones and of whatever age, single or married, whatever, these are lessons that can help us all. Y'all see that? (laughs) I hope that you take it in the spirit and I hope that, that it was intended and I hope and pray that the spirit of the Lord has blessed it.